Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. You are listening to a Pleasure Podcast. For more from our sex podcast collective, visit PleasurePodcasts.com. Welcome back to Private Parts Unknown, a podcast about love and sexuality around the world. I'm Courtney Kosak, and I have an embarrassing confession to make. I used to be terrible at breakups. Like, truly, truly bad. After my two biggest breakups of my 20s, I pined over my exes for months and months. I couldn't move on. I couldn't even imagine myself without them. So I tortured myself. I stalked them on social media. I tried to manifest us getting back together. It was really desperate and pathetic and painful and sometimes really, really embarrassing. I was a girl who needed an Amy Chan in my life. So for anyone out there who is in a breakup, or even maybe it's been years since your breakup, I'll tell you this. If you are still blaming your ex, psychoanalyzing your ex, waiting for your ex to give you closure, uh, hoping for your ex to change, you are still in a relationship with your ex. I don't care how long it's been. It could have been years, it could have been a decade. And you're just in a relationship with someone who's not in a relationship with you. So the sooner you can shift your focus and your energy on what they're doing, what they're not doing, analyzing, pathologizing them, and focus on you and what you need to move forward to create the life and relationship that you want, you're just gonna be stuck there. Amy's totally right. For a while, I was stuck. And then in my 30s, I slowly but surely got better at dating and picking the right partners and navigating relationships so there's no breakup in the first place. I still had my weak points, of course. But then I had an epiphany that completely changed my perspective on trying to make bad relationships work. I was driving my car on my cell phone, begging this fuck boy to be my boyfriend after I'd already broken things off with him once. And I got pulled over. I got a cell phone ticket from the LAPD. And I literally kept this fuck boy on the phone with me as the officer was questioning me and writing my ticket. I mean, it was shameless. And if we're keeping it real, it wasn't a ticket from the LAPD. I mean, it was, but really it was a ticket from the self-esteem police. Because as I was sitting there holding the ticket, the epiphany was instant. Girl, you need to learn how to move on. Instead of months or years of angsty dragging my feet and obsessing over an ex, I made myself promise I would stop dwelling on it immediately. And what's funny is I actually met my now fiance that same night. (laughs) Of course, we had a little journey to get to where we are now, but 
we've had a great relationship and I'm now happily engaged. And of course, relationships are ongoing work. And I hope not to be tested in this theory, but I'd like to think at least if I had to go through another breakup today, I would handle it much better. And part of that is a mindset shift. Breakups aren't just something you have to get over. They can be a catalyst for the most incredible changes in your life. As you're going to hear from one of today's guests, we get very few opportunities in our life to shake up the Etch-A-Sketch. And if you embrace a breakup as a chance to work on yourself and heal your trauma and discover your needs, you can make lemonade and turn this shitty situation into your superpower. And I want to help you get there. So I've enlisted the help of three other baddies who've harnessed the opportunity in their breakups and actually turned it into their life's work. And today we're going to give you the ultimate breakup recovery guide. So let's get into it. Hi, my name is Amy Chan. I'm the founder and chief heart hacker of Renew Breakup Bootcamp. We take a scientific and spiritual approach to healing and rewiring the heart. I'm also the author of Breakup Bootcamp, The Science of Rewiring Your Heart. And I can't wait to talk about breakups and relationships with you. Well, I'm really excited to have this conversation with you. I'm engaged right now and I've been with my current partner for like six years. But prior to him... I was like the worst girl who <laughs> would go through breakups. I went through a couple mortifying breakups where I just did out of control shit. So, but I wanted to start with your breakup story and your kind of journey into this work. Yeah. I mean, I can relate. I've had some crazy revenge fantasies, but that's for another time. Um, so yeah, I mean, I... I was a relationship columnist for, I've, it, now it's been like 12 years. And I started because love was the one area I just kept failing at. And I was like, if I could just understand the science behind mm -hmm. it, then maybe I won't get rejected and dumped all the time. And <laughs> I finally found myself in what I thought was a healthy relationship. And I was on my path to happily forever after. And to me back then, that meant date, get married, have children. I would write on the side for fun. He would be the breadwinner. And that's just the, the dream I knew. And after a couple of years together, that relationship fell apart pretty abruptly and dramatically. And I have based so much of my identity in him and us that without that, I just had no idea who I was. And I mm -hmm. broke. I completely broke. And I spiraled into depression. It was really dark. And as I climbed out of that and I tried everything to heal, uh, and it took me a good while of time, I realized that I was just a few decisions away from doing something completely destructive. And I thought, like, what happens to those people who don't have friends who will let yeah. them stay, you know, them stay on a couch and know what books to read or, or things like that. And I was like, I need to create something for these people, a place where they can get away. It's beautiful. It's in nature. And they're getting that special type of expertise that deals with a broken heart. And that's how Breakup Bootcamp was born. That's why I wanted to talk to you because I was like, this is genius. You know, when you're like doing destructive things or continuing contact with this person or just like in a bad place, <laughs> a post breakup, that's exactly what you need is just to totally break out of your patterns 
and figure out like your identity again. Yeah. Yeah. So what does breakup boot camp consist of? So we took a scientific and spiritual approach to healing the heart, and we bring in a team of experts. There's 10 of us from psychologists, behavioral scientists, sex therapists. We even bring in a dominatrix who has a PhD from Berkeley who teaches on the (laughs) psychology of power dynamics. Because I'd say the common thing everyone who comes to Breakup Bootcamp has is they're typically pretty empowered in other parts of their life, their career or their friend groups. But when it comes to their relationship while they were in it or afterwards, they're completely disempowered. And so we really dig into what is the psychology behind why these things happen and How can we start shifting those things? And people come because they're like, I'm here to get over my ex. But they find out at the end, it's never just about the ex. It's recycled pain. And there's typically a lot of patterns from codependency to love addiction to anxious attachment that have been kicking around for decades before this person. So we focus our programming on what are those patterns and those beliefs and shifting those so that they don't just repeat the same emotional experience just with someone else. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think that breaking out of those patterns is like why I was able to get into a relationship that actually lasted, you know, but it took me like several breakups of being like, oh, I'm doing this again. Oh, I'm doing this again. And then finally being like, no, I'm doing this thing. I'm going to stop doing it, you know? Yeah. So yeah, I mean, you mentioned recycled trauma. What do you learn from doing this work. I mean, it's like childhood shit a lot of the time, right? For sure. And I think the one thing I have people take a look at is we have them actually map out the data of their past relationships. So they actually have like a worksheet and they have to look at the last three people they were romantically involved with. And some of these aren't even real relationships. They're situationships. You know, those off and on things. You don't really know where you stand that can sometimes go on for years. And they look for, they just put in data points from how did they look? What were their personality traits? What were the main emotions that kept coming up? And then they look for the patterns. And when you look at the emotional experience, there's typically a few that are across the board. So maybe one is anxiety, maybe one is resentment. And if you look at the emotional experience that's repeating, that's the key data, right? Because a lot of the times people are confused. Like I know for me in my 20s, I only dated DJs. And then in my 30s, I only dated tech entrepreneurs. I was like, oh, there's no pattern here. (laughs) But I was constantly like pining for their time, editing myself to be perfect, hoping they would choose me out of everyone else. And so the emotional experience was the same, even though they looked totally different, Mm -hmm. they had totally different professions. And so that's where we can start understanding what is the actual pattern? Where did it come from? And what are actionable steps you can do to start shifting them? Yeah. You know, one of the things that I learned when I was trying to put myself back together was about attachment styles and how that plays in. And even though, you know, my parents were still together, in some ways I didn't see conflict modeled a lot. And I wound up I think for definitely a period of my life being very anxiously attached. Can you kind of speak to how that plays into how you act post breakup? (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. So attachment theory explains that by the age of around two years old, we develop an attachment system, which will pretty much determine how we relate romantically as adults. So the attachment style that we have with our primary caregiver then transfers onto our romantic partner when we're older. And there's three main types. They're secure, meaning they're not afraid of intimacy. They're also not codependent. They can move through conflict and they report the highest levels of satisfaction and connection in their relationships. Then there's avoidant attachment style. They have a deep fear that intimacy and when someone gets a bit too close, it's going to take away their freedom and their autonomy. Often this comes from children who had a parent who was very smothering, controlling, or actually just didn't meet their needs at all. And so the mm-hmm. child learns at a very young age, pre-verbal, that, oh, I'm not going to get my needs met anyway. I better completely get it on my own. So they grow up kind of being like these islands, fiercely independent. And then there's anxious attached, which is what I am also uh, veer under. They fear abandonment and rejection. So they're hypersensitive to any cues that the connection might be at stake. And they typically had a primary caregiver that was inconsistent. So maybe they didn't read the cues properly. And sometimes they came and rushed to the child when the child was crying. Sometimes they didn't. So that baby who is very, you know, dependent on their caregiver, it becomes a matter of life or death. Am I going to get the needs I need or am I not? And so they grow up and they're just hypervigilant because to them, it's a matter of survival. Now, avoidant or anxious, they're two different sides of the same coin because I've noticed some of the literature kind of almost vilifies avoidance, like there are these jerks and like they don't care, but really they didn't choose their attachment system. It's really about how safe we are with intimacy. And so Unfortunately, with breakups, anxiously attached because they tend to put a lot more of their identity and they need a lot more validation from their partners to feel safe, they get it the worst. So I would say at my breakup boot camps, it's probably 80 to 85% are veering anxiously attached. (laughs) That does make sense. Yeah. Okay. So if you're especially to the anxiously attached folks and you're going through this and you're like acting insane in ways that you would normally be very embarrassed about or just feeling insane, what are some of your tips for working through the pain and also just like not sabotaging yourself. (laughs) Yeah, I get this whole feeling I'm crazy. I used to think that. And I think the very first thing is to understand what's going on with the brain. So they've done fMRI scans on the brains of those who are newly separated. And what they found was the part of the brain activated was the same part of a brain of a drug user feeding for their next fix. So Mm -hmm. the conclusion is that after separation, you, you plunge into what's called primal panic, And you literally are like fiending for your fix. And you're fiending for those chemicals that you used to get, dopamine, oxytocin. So even though logically, you know, okay, we're broken up, your body doesn't. So your body's like, get me that hit of dopamine. And that's going to motivate you to text them to try to get them back, to look at their Instagram stories. And so knowing that just helps you understand like, oh, I'm not going crazy. My body's actually just going through this chemical withdrawal. It will take some time to recalibrate. It's not going to be this intense forever. Uh, Research shows six to eight weeks is when it kind of hits its peak and starts to subside. And second, know that when you're getting that 
come on, just check their Instagram or、mm-hmm. check that new person they're dating, check their Instagram. That is your brain just saying, give me that hit of dopamine. So create a list of ways you can get these chemicals in a healthy way. Exercising, being around friends, getting even、uh, a Swedish massage will release some of those chemicals. So、Ooh. create that list and go down that list before you go contact your ex. Yeah. Okay. So you're saying six to eight weeks, but I feel like if you are doing those things where you're still kind of in contact and in the loop, like you, it takes even longer than that. So how do you feel about the quote unquote no contact rule? <laughs> I feel very strongly about it. So another thing to understand about the brain is, when you're with someone, you have neural pathways that have been wired together. So whether you know every time you had breakfast in the morning or those vacations to waking up with them, those are strengthening those neural pathways. And so after a breakup, if you continue to scroll down memory lane and look at their photos, or you have breakup sex, or you keep getting your emotional support from them. You're not allowing those old neural pathways to print away. So, really, if you continue this contact until you stop, your breakup recovery doesn't really start until that ends. Yeah. Okay. So, how do you cycle through to the letting go? So, understand that grieving a breakup is a process which goes through different stages, and. The stages mirror the stages of grief when someone's grieving the death of someone, and really, if you think about it, it kind of is. You're grieving not just the romance. You're grieving likely your best friend. You're grieving a part of your own identity. You're grieving this future that will never happen with this person again. There is a lot of grief, and there are stages, and these stages are normal. So it starts off with shock. This is really your body's way of protecting itself, so you're not overwhelmed by the new reality. You feel really numb. Then it goes to denial, where you're like, oh, maybe if. Only I did this. Oh well, why don't we try therapy? Whatever it is, you just like won't accept that it's over.、Mm-hmm. The quicker that you accept reality, then you move on to the next stages. It hits you、uh, that it's over. You hit depression, and it's situational depression where you're really sad because you miss a person, and then it gets into anger. Anger is actually a good thing because it shows that energy is moving, and it typically launches you out of depression. And plunges you into taking action. Okay, I gotta le- start have a boundary. I have to go and work out. I have to do something. I gotta go cut my hair. Whatever it is. <laughs> After anger is a stage called bargaining, which is very much like denial, where you're like. The missing is so much. The withdrawal is so painful that you're like, you know, maybe it wasn't so bad.、Uh, mm-hmm. We can make this work. And sometimes you'll go back again a couple times until you realize it's going to be the same result. You then go into what I call accountability, where the conversation starts to shift from they did this and they need to give me closure to like I need to do this. I have to do this. I was also accountable for how this relationship was from the beginning to the end. And then it moves into acceptance, where you're like, okay, this is over. I need to take steps to move forward. And acceptance doesn't mean you don't miss a person. You don't have residual feelings of sadness. It just means that you're not holding on to the past and this hope that it's gonna you're gonna get back together. And you can jump through the different stages, and it might not be in order, and that's also okay. But if you resist the stage by being like, I'm gonna avoid my doing it. I'm gonna drink myself out of it. It just prolongs your suffering even more. So 
I mean, what do you find? Can people get back together with their ex? So I highly recommend if you want to get back together with your ex, give it at least 60 days because if you don't, you're basically making a decision while you're in a survivor state and it's not going to be clear. You're making a decision because the missing and the pain is so much and missing someone is not a good enough reason to get back together with someone. You only want to get back together with someone if something is going to change. Is there something that's different? Maybe there's an action plan to do go to therapy, whatever it is. But if you're going back and it's just the same you, the same them, the same patterns, you're just going to go through another cycle of this. You're procrastinating your pain and you're going to have to deal with this blow up again. And so I would really recommend in those 60 days of just not having contact, really taking that time to create clarity, write a list of all the reasons why it didn't work. Because something that happens after breakup is our brain plays tricks on us and we tend to remember a lot of the positive things and we put them on a pedestal. And so reviewing the list of all the reasons why it didn't work can help get you back into reality. How do you feel about dating other people? Like when seems to be a good time when you're ready versus like avoiding your pain, basically? Yeah. So there's no such thing as you're healed, right? Right. Like you get on healed (laughs) island and suddenly you you can get in a relationship. But I think this is a very personal decision where you have to be really honest with yourself. So if you were to see your ex on a dating app or you're gonna go out and you see them on a date and you would be absolutely destroyed and back into fetal position, dry heaving, you are not ready. The wound is still way too fresh, but there's a period of time where the wound starts to heal a bit and it's not this big fresh wound. And and if you were to see them on a dating app, you'd be like, oh, that kind of sucks, but you would be okay. Then that is a sign that the only way to know if you're ready is to actually give it a try and you go on a date and you need to really set your expectations that the first couple of dates you're going to go on you're not going to be blown away and be like, oh my gosh, this is my new person. It is really just for you to practice connecting again, practice being curious, practice being in relation with another person that's not your ex. And if you can temper your expectations and you go on the date, you're like, oh, like that wasn't bad. Like I had a good conversation. Amazing. Keep going. But if you go on a date and you're like the whole time you're comparing and you feel destroyed afterwards, again, that means give it a bit more time and focus on self-nurture before trying it again. Okay. Uh, Can you stay friends with your ex? I definitely think you can. I mean, the person that, you know, the whole reason why I started Breakup Bootcamp, I'm really good friends with him. It took a long time though. It took a lot of space and time apart. How many years? I would say it took like five years. Okay. Yeah. We would see each other because we had mutual friends and then eventually that charge just wasn't there. We were able to have a coffee and then we just were able to hang out a little bit more and more. And it's just, it's not a romantic love, but it almost feels like a familial love. Like Mm -hmm. I really love this person and he really loves me and he's married now and I'm in a relationship and we're so happy for each other. And I think that's beautiful, but not every single ex deserves a place in your present and future just because you had a history. I mean, I think that goes along the same for friends as well. You have to decide like, do you even like this person? Is there even enough alignment of values? Do they even treat you like a human? in order for you to even 
see if you want to be friends. And if so, you have to make sure that there is time in between because you cannot go from intimate to platonic without a transition time. Yes. So I guess kind of lastly, what about friend breakups? I mean, sometimes those can be even more traumatic. (laughs) And have you dealt with that personally or seen it in your business or have any thoughts on that? Yes, it's definitely an area for me that I need to grow and evolve because to be honest, I haven't been great with friend breakups. A lot of the times I did the slow fade. Yeah. And then the few times I decided to be honest with the person, it really backfired in my face and um, they took it really poorly. They made sure I was uninvited from group Mm -hmm. gatherings in the future. And so I'm really torn with, well, what is the right approach? And I would say now having done this a few times and have hurt people along the way, depending on how deep your friendship is, if it's a very close friend, I think having a conversation in person and telling them along the way, right? Like giving people an opportunity before you just hand them the memo. And I think that's what I did wrong is I just held up things. I didn't have those uncomfortable conversations Mm -hmm. until it hit a tipping point. I'm like, I can't do this anymore. And Mm -hmm. so what I would do differently is like, let them know like, hey, you know, when XX, draw the boundary, draw the limit, give them an opportunity. And if they just can't listen and it's just like oil and water, it's just not fitting, then have the conversation and make that conversation more about yourself versus Mm -hmm. you did this and you don't do this. And it's like, I feel this. And I feel like we've grown apart and it's a hard conversation, I know, but I think it's necessary. Yeah. Ooh, that's okay. Great Unless advice. you're dealing with a narcissist, then don't because it's going <laughs> to blow up in your face. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hi, my name is Kendra Allen, and I am your breakup bestie, helping you see your heartbreak as a blessing. So I, too, used to be really bad at going through breakups. It all started when I was 18. I got into a relationship with a guy that was 12 years older than me, turned out to be like total nar I mean, I didn't even know the word for narcissist. Was a total narcissist. <laughs> um, had no idea what gaslighting was, but like it was just a really toxic relationship that I was in for like three years. And luckily that relationship ended, but I I never processed it. And I think because of all the like trauma from that relationship, I basically got into this habit of getting into relationships with people that were emotionally unavailable 
didn't want to commit. I was like the girl that was like, I'll get them to commit, you know, right. kind of a thing. I love a good project. Love <laughs> a good conquering story here. <laughs> and, you know, simultaneously, I got sober when I was 21, um, had a horrendous problem with drinking. And so I, I got sober and I remember thinking like, okay, now that I'm sober, I got the relationships. Like, I know how to pick people now. Totally, totally not the case. But... So what what ended up happening is I got healthier. My relationships that I attracted started getting healthier. And I went through a breakup um, in 2015 that was like devastating. And it was my first sober breakup where I like uh, could feel it all. I could feel it all. And like, you know, I had gotten sober, but that didn't mean like I had other it was like the first breakup where I was like, I can't like sleep my way out of this. I can't like date other. people. I just realized I'm like, nothing feels good anymore. <laughs> like I have to do this the right way now, you know? Uh -huh. um, and it really like was a contrast to when I got sober, there was like support groups, therapists, books. There was like so many resources and so much support. And then going through a breakup, you're kind of just like, I hope my friends have some good advice. But there was just like nothing out there that was like step by step how to get through a breakup. And I went through this process where I like got into EMDR therapy. I just like really oh, dove into myself. And then I, I ended up becoming like the friend that people went to when they were going through breakups. You should talk to Kendra. You know, she went through it and, and got through the other side. So I started just writing like blog posts and I was like, there's nothing out there. Anything online was like how to get your ex back. How totally. To, how to make your ex like never wish they, you know, it was just like all so clickbaity. And there was nothing really that was like how to invest in yourself to get over a breakup. Like just really practical advice. So I started the Instagram account in 2017. And I was like, I'll just see how this goes. And it was received really well. And I've learned so much about people going through breakups, running this account for so long because I get so many DMs. And and so it's just morphed into courses and a podcast and and all of that. But I, I launched this. I launched my blog the month before I got married. So it's very interesting. Like I'm so far from removed from breakups on one hand, but on the other hand, I literally talk to people all day going through breakups. So it's that's kind of been the the short version of the journey. That's so interesting. You know what? Yes. You I was going through these breakups like probably 2010, 2014-ish, and then, you know, slightly after, but there wasn't anything except how to get your ex back, which I did want to get my ex back. So totally. I did look at I did look at those things. Same. But there was nothing that made me feel everything that I read online was embarrassing that I was reading it. You know what I mean? I yeah. had a voice in my head that was like, what are you doing? And it's awesome that you made this resource that really wasn't out there. Thank you. Yeah, it's and it really like I think COVID was really like the year where people were going through breakups, but like they didn't have their friends to go to. They didn't have like eat, pray, love trips to go on. Right. Like, they weren't going out. And so I think COVID was really like the time that people really gravitated towards my page and, and my content. Oh, that's interesting. OK, so let's just start kind of at the beginning, like someone hypothetical person just got dumped out of the blue, blindsided. <laughs> What's your first advice for how to proceed? 
The first thing that I always tell people is like, drop the idea that you're going to go through this by yourself. I don't care if every single person in your life is married. I don't care if like your best friend is getting married like in a matter of months. Like tell your friends, I need you right now. I remember when I went through the breakup in 2015, my friends are like, okay, Kendra's going to come over to my house tonight. Like let people just like hold you up, like drop your ego. This is not the time to say like, I'm fine. And as another caveat, like I don't care if your friends told you they did not like your ex. I don't care if your friends said like whatever mistakes, quote unquote mistakes you think you made you still have to go to your friends. Your friends love you. They're going to hold you up. Even if your friends are married, they remember what it's like going through a breakup. So like I say, like I tell people like rally the troops, send a group text, call a friend, have people come over, like accept any offers that people have to come over to their house to let them make you dinner, whatever that looks like. So I think that's like the biggest first thing that I tell people and I know you want to be alone. I know you, you want to isolate. Like, you want to isolate. <laughs> you want to just like cry in peace, which there should be times for that too. But the worst thing you can do is like not really tell people like how bad you're feeling and how bad your situation is. Totally. So what if you're tempted to do some self-destructive things, whether that be contact your ex or yeah. like how would you approach A, the relationship with this person who has just dumped you and – trying to avoid the obsession and the anxiety and like all these things that kind of come along with being blindsided. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so I'm like a big fan of the no contact rule if you if you have the opportunity to do it as if you don't share children, if you're like not at the same job. I've learned running this page so many people date people that they work with. I I had no idea. <laughs> it's so common. <laughs> so, I'm a big fan of the no contact and honestly like a lot of the stuff that I talk about comes from my experience like getting sober like for me when I quit alcohol like I can't have like a sip of alcohol like on Friday nights like that's just like not how it works for me I have to cut it out of my life completely Mm -hmm. like I had to detox it from my life I had to learn how to live without it and I think it's the same thing like you know I interviewed Guy Winch and he talks about how your body physiologically actually goes through like a very similar chemical process of quitting drugs when you're going through a breakup so like keep that in mind have a lot of grace with yourself. You're going to have some wild thoughts. <laughs> like you're going to like <laughs> you're going to want to drive by their house, call them 27 times. Oh my god, um, yes. <laughs> but like whatever you can do to not do that kind of stuff. And like this is also where like the friends come in. Like if you have like a wild thought, be like I text your friend, I just like had this temptation to like want to drive by their house. And Sometimes just getting it out, you're like, "Woo, that was wild. And then you don't do it. So like don't have shame around it, but like do what you can to share that with people and not keep those kind of secrets because that's going to make you feel very like ashamed and guilt. And that's like the last thing you want to be feeling because you're already not feeling good. And then healthy distractions, I think, are really important. I think sometimes people have this thing where they they want to like dive right into the the pain and the resentment and like it's too big at the beginning like it's too heavy like right. do whatever you can to like keep your head above water i remember like i couldn't even listen to the radio i would just listen to like stand up comedy tracks on spotify cuz that was like the only thing i could handle i remember watching like pixar movies mm-hmm. seriously like whatever content you can consume to make you feel okay in that moment that's okay. So I think a lot of it's like having a lot of grace with yourself and like doing what you can to not reach out 
to your ex because ultimately that will make you feel worse. Totally. And yeah, those self-soothing things like watching, yeah. marathoning The Office, whatever. Exactly. Mine was like Parks and Rec. Like yes. some lighthearted. I did both. Yeah. <laughs> some like lighthearted things. And it's like, I think too, like I tell people, you're already going to be thinking about your ex so much. Whatever triggers you can like cut out, do that. Like don't force yourself to listen to like your song or your music, like take down those photos, go around your house, put everything in a shoebox and like give it to a friend. Just Mm -hmm. like get it out of your space. You don't have to burn it. We don't have to like do that, but you can if you want. But like (laughs) just get it out of your space. Yeah, that's really good advice. Okay, so if you're the dumper, how can you be a kind dumper? Even if you're like, listen, this relationship's over. No, really good question. So whenever – someone comes to me and is like, I'm going to break up with my partner, I tell them the first thing you have to do is no matter how much you want to, do not leave like a grain of hope with them. Yes. Don't say who knows what will happen someday. Don't say like I need time right now. Just be blunt as much as you can. This relationship is not working for me. And that's it. And here's another thing. It's really hard to dump someone. I think a lot of people think that the dumper is this like cold-hearted person who doesn't love you anymore. Like a lot of the time, it's very difficult. So you see the person you love crying. You're breaking their heart. So you want to kind of throw them a bone, but don't. That's like the most respectful thing. And then leave them alone. (laughs) <laughs> That's like that. I know it's like sounds so cold, but like leave them alone. Anything you send them is going to be interpreted as a very mixed message. You have to give them the space to like learn how to live without you. You're going to feel guilty no matter what. You're going to feel mm-hmm. guilty. You cannot have them take away your guilty conscience. You just have to remember like you did the right thing because ultimately you're giving them the opportunity to find the right person for them and you're doing that for you too. But like I tell people like leave them alone. Yeah. Even if you ultimately want to be friends or I mean whatever that's like way down the line. It's like you kind of have to reestablish that as like a totally new relationship. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It it works for some people to become friends with their exes but like it it's exactly what you said. It has to be established as like a new relationship and there can't be – neither person can want to get back together if you exactly. want to be friends. Yeah. What is the difference between the genders? And I've read some stats yeah. about how like it takes guys longer and women ha- tend to have more support. But what do you find as the differences or not between genders? Yeah, it's so interesting because if you would have asked me this like when I first started, I would have said there was a lot of differences. But now that I've and it's interesting, my page, I I started it for women like my bio used to say, like, I help women overcome heartbreak. And I started getting all these messages from men like, hello, like we're really struggling here, (laughs) too. And there's not a lot of stuff out there for us. So I really like kind of changed my tune. And I actually put up a question box. I was like, men, what do you wish we knew about your experience going through heartbreak? And it was so interesting, like. I've learned people experience breakups very differently. It's really like society's kind of culture that makes them different because men don't feel comfortable like going and crying to their friends. They don't feel comfortable asking people for help. They believe that they should move on fast. It's kind of like 
the stereotypes became like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Uh, yeah. Yeah. They don't feel as comfortable. They don't feel like they have as many resources as women do, but they they really do struggle. And it's so funny. On one given day, I could get two messages. One that says, why do men move on so fast? And then another one that says, why do women move on so fast? And I'm like, <laughs> you guys, it's the same thing. <laughs> We're going through the same thing here. Okay. So there's a lot of talk about closure, trying to find closure. And is that even possible? How should you approach trying to find closure? Like, is that something you get from your partner or is that something you get from yourself? Short answer, you get it from yourself for sure. I think there's this like illusion that if you get the exact reason why the relationship ended, you'll feel better about it, but you're still dealing with the same result, which is you lost the person that you love and you lost the relationship that was a significant part of your life. Right. And I think a lot of people, when they say like, I want to reach out to my ex because I want to get closure, what I want to tell them is you just want to talk to your ex and argue about the breakup. Right. You just want to plead your case. You just yeah. want to plead your case. Then you want to know why they ended the relationship so you can better plead your case, you know? So I think I think a lot of people won't let go of their ex because they don't have, quote unquote, closure. But I mean, closure is the relationship ended. The relationship's no longer working. And I think people could argue the case of, well, I want to like learn for the next one. You'll learn like you, as time goes on, you'll be able to see if like you want to change some of your behaviors like that'll you'll learn that with time. You don't want you honestly you do not want to hear that from your ex. I promise you, you don't want notes from your ex. <laughs> totally. It's just going to make you feel awful. Um, so I think, yeah, closure is the relationship's over. That's really the only closure that you need. And as you work through the breakup and as you start like healing yourself, you'll be able to have that realization of like, okay, now I can see why this relationship didn't work out. And that's like the ultimate closure. But you're not going to get it from your ex. It's not going to be like some pretty wrapped present that your ex hands you and all of a sudden you're like, oh, I feel better now. Yeah, totally. So how long does it typically take for people to heal and move on and what's way too long? <laughs> uh. So I know this is like I, – I always wish I could give an answer. I never give timelines just because it's – Everyone's different. Everyone's yeah. different. Like a two-month like whirlwind relationship can like leave someone paralyzed for like – a long time. And then sometimes people are coming out of a 20-year marriage that they kind of knew was over for a long time and they feel better within a couple months. So it's you can't really base it on how long the relationship was. And breakups can also trigger past trauma. It can trigger like abandonment wounds from your parents. Like so much stuff can be layered under going through a breakup that that will take longer to heal because you got to go pretty deep to like heal the underlying stuff. So I'd say I think really it's like a matter of progress. If you're still like debilitatingly heartbroken after a year and you still like are crying every day, I think we got to like we got to look what's going on here. Yeah. There also has to be like a willingness to let go of your ex. I, I find like a lot of people just don't want to. They want to just like wait around and they want to they like think that ultimately they're going to end up getting back together. So there has to be a willingness to let go. And if you're not making progress, I tell people like you got to try something different. If you're friends with your ex and every time you leave from seeing them, you're sobbing. Okay, 
probably shouldn't be friends with your ex. Um, <laughs> if you're like still on social media and like every time you post something, you're thinking about how your ex is going to respond to it and you're having a tough time, you should probably take them off your follower list. I think it's really just a matter of like keep kind of tweaking what you're trying until you start feeling better. Yes. Okay. Social media. That's such a big thing now because it's like you used to be able to just not have that person in your life, you know, unless you worked with them. But now we're like this web online and even you see stuff through their friends. So how do you deal with the social media part? So I mean, I believe, again, you're thinking about your ex so much. So like try to make social media of a place that works for you, kind of like a a good escape for you. I'm a big fan of like the mute button. You can mute your ex's friends if you don't want to go through that whole thing of unfollowing them. I don't know where this started, but sometimes I think there's this belief that it's the mature thing to like stay friends with your ex and it's the mature thing to like not block them on social media or still look at their things and be cordial. Like I don't know where that came from, but it's (laughs) so not helpful to people. I think it's far more mature to take care of yourself and set boundaries. So I'm a big fan of like removing your ex from social media and even blocking them, not because you hate them, but because you know it's going to be too hard for you not to keep looking. I think that's like the biggest thing because if your ex's profile is public, you know, it's like you can unfollow them, but you can still look every three hours. Um, So I'd say like if something is bothering you on social media that when you go to look, mute that person. And that can also be like your friend that just got engaged. And so now you're going to be seeing like all their sappy content. Mute them for like 30 days. That's okay. I'm very heavy handed with the mute button suggestions because because it's trickery. It's how it makes you feel. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So and I believe if your ex is following that people will be like, well, they look at my stories and and, and I think they do it like they still want to see me. But the right. problem is it's only hurting you because, again, every time you go to post, you're thinking like, oh, I wonder what they're going to think about this. And you're just giving them more power and more energy. So remove them as a follower. Yeah. You can always refollow each other later. Exactly. Exactly. So you got back with your ex, right? You mm-hmm. did the dream. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. How do you do the impossible? (laughs) I know. It's so funny. I like I have my whole podcast episode about it because I'm very careful because it's it's like the exception to the rule for sure. But I think there's like a couple really important things to note. We broke up in 2015 at the beginning of 2015. We did not text, see each other, talk on the phone, follow each other on social media like we did like a true no contact. And we did not see each other until the end of 2016 again. So what's the math on that? Like a year and a half? A year and a half, yeah. So I fully went through the breakup. I was dating someone else very seriously. And we happened to see each other. And and two, like he broke up with me because he knew I wanted to get married and he didn't think he ever wanted to get married. So it was like, it was one of those things where I was sad, but I couldn't really be mad at him because I'm like, you're just telling me the truth about yourself. Uh-huh. So we saw each other at a wedding a year and a half later. Three weeks later, he reached out and asked if I wanted to get coffee. Um, We both know each other from 12 Steps. So I thought he was going to make amends to me. That's like a thing in Uh in AA. So I got together with him for coffee. And basically, he told me about his whole healing journey that he had been on for the last year and a half, the therapy that he was in 
how he spent time single, how he went through the blocks of why he didn't want to get married. And then he said, like, when he saw me at the wedding, he had realized before that he wanted to get married and have kids. And then we saw me at the wedding. He said he realized he was supposed to be with me. Um, He waited three weeks to make sure it wasn't just like an impulsive decision. Uh So we both went through it like in a very healthy way where nothing was done impulsively. I left our coffee meeting saying, I don't know if you're going to hear from me. I waited. I didn't just like jump into his arms. I like talked to all my friends. I talked to my parents. I talked to my therapist. I really took the time to make sure this was something that made sense. And in my gut, it did make sense. And we ended up getting back together and, and it worked out really well. And I had stipulations when we got back together. And yeah, it ended up it ended up working out, but it only worked out because I never thought it would work out. It only worked out because I thought I would never see him again. And I was exactly. completely happy with that. And I know that if he hadn't come back into my life, like I still would have been very happy in another relationship. I tell people like I thought he was going to tell you know I I thought so many things that he was going to tell me that day at coffee before he said that he wanted to get back together is it like a different relationship now completely different relationship yeah I mean even like I could tell there was like a wall down immediately and what's really interesting is like the growth that I did during the breakup I feel like I was very different and he had you know I used to be like total people pleaser chameleon whatever you want I'm good with. I just Uh want to be in a relationship. And I had gotten to a place where I'm like, I'm happy single. So if you don't like this, I'll go back to being single. I'm fine with that. So there was like a lot of kind of re-getting to know each other in that way. Oh, that's very cool. Okay. So I guess like a good place to end is, I mean, breakups can be a tremendous opportunity. I feel like I kind of got to rewrite the script, you know, after going through them about like who I was. And I wish I would have embraced that a little bit more fully at the beginning of the process. But do you have any advice for how to make the most of it, how to undo negative patterns, how to change, I mean, yourself and who you attract? Yeah. I mean, John Kim, the on Instagram, he's like the angry therapist. He has this great quote that says, like, we get so few opportunities in our lives to like shake up our etch-a-sketch. And I like oh. love that quote so much. And I'm the same. Like, I try to tell people that I wish I had embraced my single time more because it is such a beautiful time. And like, you know, looking back on like, hey, you want to go on a girl's trip like next weekend? Yeah, let's go. It's like there's so much like freedom and um, space for you when you're single. But I would say like there's a reason when people are going through breakups, they change the color of their hair, they change jobs, they move. Like you have this like, I call them like breakup guts. Like you have this like kind of superpower when you're going through a breakup because you kind of just want to say like, fuck it. Like I'm, I just want to feel better. So how are you going to use that? You have this kind of secret power when you're going through it. So I'd tell people to use that. Um, Don't jump right into like, what kind of person can I attract? Like really try to use this space for you. What do you like to do? Try things that you haven't tried before. Like my example is like a way back ex said that he didn't like girls who did CrossFit because they got too like muscular. And I went through the breakup and like immediately joined into CrossFit. So like (laughs) anything like that that you can do that like feels empowering, do that kind of stuff. And once you do get to the place of like, who do I want to attract into my life? Like the best example I got is like, 
you attract what you promote. So make a list of all the things you want in a partner and you get to work on that list. If you want a partner who like likes going to concerts, when's the last time you went to a concert? Like if you want a partner who travels with you, have you booked any travel for yourself recently? Like you have to realize like you're a mirror for the kind of person that you attract. So that's the kind of work to do. We can't just like write a list and then just hope they get sent to us one day. Like you really have to put in the work for the kind of person that you want to bring into your life. Hey, privates. Privates with penises, I'm talking to you. (laughs) Our sponsor, Fleshlight, can help you reach new heights with your self-pleasure. And that is because Fleshlight is the number one selling male sex toy in the world. And they don't just leave you hanging over there. At Fleshlight, you can explore sex toys with expert guides and advice, especially if you're a beginner or you're looking to level up. If you have been listening to the show for a while, you know how I feel about self-pleasure, and it is very, very good. And I definitely endorse using sex toys. I have a lot of fun with sex toys myself. So with the Fleshlight Girls series, you can embrace your wildest porn star fantasies with a different porn actress every night. What? With the variety of models, sensations, and intensities, you can live out limitless fantasies. And you can automate your fantasies with a universal launch that fits most Fleshlight products. With its innovative touch control system, just set the controls, sit back, and enjoy. And you have pleasure right in your hands. Your pleasure is in your complete control. And as the ultimate male pleasure device on the market, it's as versatile as you are anatomical, stamina building, vibrating, or made for couples, you name it. You define your luxury moment. And I just want to say, if you have any shame around sex toys, please don't. It is so much better than being weird with girls because you feel kind of desperate or whatever. Fleshlight just allows you to chill out, wait for the right girl when she comes, and in the meantime, you know you are going to be getting yours and having a good time. So you don't even have to sweat it. And right now, Fleshlight is offering Private Parts Unknown listeners 10% off your order with our code PRIVATE10. So you just go to ppupod.com. That's the website, ppupod.com. You click Fleshlight and you use the promo code PRIVATE10 to get 10% off your delicious new device. Again, that is ppupod.com and enter code PRIVATE10 And it really helps support the show. It helps support yourself and your own sex drive. So go ahead and use the link in the episode description. We can all be horny together. We can keep this podcast going. So get yourself a flashlight and get yourself off. Hi, my name is Gabrielle Stone. I am the author of the best-selling book, Eat, Pray, FML, and the host of FML Talk. So tell me about the breakup stories that led to Eat, Pray, FML. Oh, God. Where to begin? So I was (laughs) married for almost two years, um, and I found out my husband was having an affair with a 19-year-old for six months. So that was the first kind of major breakup in my life. Uh, I never thought I was going to be divorced at 28, but here we are. And it was really a massive shock to me, my family, his family. It was kind of like the rug got completely pulled out from under me. We were in therapy, like really trying to work on why things had been so awful. I had no idea why at the time. And although it was really 
horrific to feel so betrayed by someone that you trusted, especially with your body in a physical sense. I did know that it was happening for a reason. I did feel like it was giving me an out because I would have stayed in that so much longer if I would have not had a reason to be like, okay, bye. And let me be clear, I don't feel that we should need a reason to leave. If you feel unhappy for whatever reason, that's your reason. I think because I had just had this massive wedding and, you know, all my friends and family were there and we hadn't been married for that long, like the thought of getting divorced sounded insane to me. Mm -hmm. And I had made this commitment, you know, like you're, you go to therapy, work through it. So it really was a lot of me feeling the potential guilt and shame of what that decision might bring. But once I found out about the cheating, it kind of like crossed all of that off because then I knew people were going to support me leaving. So that that breakup was intense, but I wasn't in love with him. I loved him as a person, but I don't think I was ever in love with him. And I didn't come to realize that until my next relationship, which is the one that really screwed me up. So shortly after I filed for divorce, I left the house and met this man. And we fell madly in love with each other. It went from like zero to 100. And I've come to know from so many of my readers DMing me how often this is that the relationship after the long important one is the one that really fucks you up. And I I can attest to that. That is in fact true. And we really just fell head over heels. Like it was like, meet my family. I'm gonna have babies with this person. We're done. Signed, sealed, delivered. And the second night we were hanging out, He was like, I have a month-long trip to Europe booked. I don't know what to do now. I was like, well, I would never tell you not to go travel. He was like, no, I I want you to come with me. And of course, I'm sitting there going, you're absolutely insane. (laughs) But also, when are you leaving? (laughs) Um, (laughs) Europe had been on my bucket list for a very, very long time. And I started to seriously consider it. And he goes, I'm leaving on September 4th, which would have been my two-year wedding anniversary. And... I said, okay, when are you coming home? And he said, October 4th, which is my late father's birthday. So by this time, I'm like, all right, universe, I hear you. I'll go on the trip. I got it. Like, uh-huh, this uh-huh. is all meant to be. Of course I had to get cheated on. Of course I had to get divorced so I could end up in this soulmate relationship, right? So we're together for a month and a half. Everything's just like blissfully happy. We're obsessed with each other. It's just like zero to 100. And 48 hours before we were getting on the plane – to go to Europe, he told me he needed to go by himself and broke up with me. Ah, and you're like tickets booked and... Oh, no, no, no. Like bag is packed by my bed. (laughs) Bag that we bought together at REI because like I've only traveled with luggage. Yeah, no, like literally two days before we were going on an international trip. And when I tell you I was devastated, like this man broke my heart like my ex-husband never could have done. Uh, It was at the height of the honeymoon stage. I thought I was spending the rest of my life with this person. I had met his family. They had all been like, we've never seen him like this. You're changing his life. This is so incredible. Like all of his friends were like, oh my God. Like it it was insane that we went from that high of a high to such a low, low. And I was so absolutely blindsided. Do you think there was a red flag in that looking back or just like, that dynamic didn't work. No, totally. And it took me a while to say, yes, I can see the red flags looking back because 
close after it and even through writing the book, I'm like, no, there weren't any red flags. And then I was scrolling on TikTok one day as we learn all of our content from now um, (laughs) and saw a video on love bombing and was like, I've never heard of this term. What is this? And come to find out love bombing is being showered with attention early on. Like you're immediately the girlfriend. Like I want to text you all the time. I'm immediately obsessed with you very quick, zero to 100. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, holy shit, this is what fucking happened to me. And I think to be clear, there's love bombing in two separate types of ways. It can happen intentionally from a narcissist when they're like, I want to sink my claws into this person and shower them with love and get them to be only mine and start to like take them away from their people. I don't think that's what was happening. I think there's another side of love bombing when someone has a void within themselves Mm -hmm. that they are trying so desperately to fill and they meet you and you're starting to make them feel better and they're like, oh, they're filling my void. Like I want more of them until they realize that that feeling isn't fixing the void anymore because no one can fix that void except the individual themselves. And when they have that realization, they're like, oh, actually, I went too fast. I'm out. Mm -hmm. And the other person is left there just going, wait, I'm sorry, what? I thought we were like on this trajectory. So – I, I looking back on it now, yeah, that was for sure a red flag that it had to move that fast for both of us. So where do you pick up like, you know, you're now 48 hours out from your trip. Are you considering not going? Why did you ultimately decide to make the trip? I had probably 12 hours of a panic moment where I was calling a couple people, seeing if they would want to go with me. I was like, well, should I not go? And then I was like, well, no, because then I'm just going to stay at home heartbroken and watch this fool travel around for a month. Like, fuck that. (laughs) Uh, I'm not going to just sit in my heartbrokenness. Like I was at my mom's house crying in my high school bedroom because that's where you move when you get divorced. And I was like, absolutely not. Like, I need to go. So Luckily, I had a friend from high school that had moved to London, and she was there with her significant other. And I was like, look, I don't have any plans. I don't know what the fuck I'm about to do, but can I start my trip at your place? And she said, yes, of course. So I was like, all right, I guess I'm going to Europe for a month by myself. And again, I had never traveled alone, especially not with a backpack. It was totally new to me, totally out of my comfort zone. And, you know, the only thing I had heard about hostels on the plane ride over was that there's a horror movie about them and people get brutally murdered in that. And I was like, all right, I guess this is what we're doing. But I knew (laughs) I'm a huge believer in everything happens for a reason, even if you can't see it in that moment. And I knew in that moment that this was all happening for a much bigger purpose. I knew whatever I was going to learn on this trip was going to be massive. Since I lost my dad when I was a little girl, I have had a fear of abandonment and a fear of being by myself. And this was the universe's clear way of making me go face that shit head on in a very big, extravagant manner. And uh, it did. It totally changed my life and my career. So one thing that was interesting when I was preparing for this you sold your ring to I fund did. the trip. I did. And you know, I wish I would have written about that in the book because when my TikTok videos started blowing up, 
I get, you know, 95% amazing comments on there, but there's a 5% of people who just <laughs> think I'm the Haters. worst and hate me. <laughs> and, you know, like it's art, it's subjective to each their own. But one of the comments I get is like, oh, it must be nice to be rich. And I was like, I spent 20 grand trying to get divorced. I was financially devastated living at my mom's house, not knowing what to do or where to go, had no savings. And I sold my engagement ring back to the jeweler who we got it from <laughs> um, and got five grand from him. And that funded that whole month in Europe. That's kind of a good way to get yours, though, after a divorce. It's like, why not? That's your totally. treat money. <laughs> Totally. And the kicker was that at the end of my trip, his attorney, when we finally like reached an agreement after, you know, months and months of bullshit, his attorney reached out and they were like, OK, well, he's ready to sign, but he'd like the ring back. And I was oh. like, sorry, you can tell him I already sold it and went to Europe. Like what? <laughs> you don't cheat on someone and then be like, oh, hey, let me get the ring back that like I gave you to promise you all this bullshit that never happened. <laughs> Totally. Oh, my God. Okay, so the trip. How did it help you work through the breakup? Yeah, I think the trip was everything. It was a way for me to finally be by myself and work through a lot of shit and trauma. It was also an escape. Like there were nights where I would go out and not make the best decisions and met a lot of people and partied. And there were nights where I would stay in and cry and write for six hours. So it was everything. And I don't think there's ever a way that is okay. right or wrong to work through heartbreak. It's dependent on the situation. It's dependent on the person. Sometimes you need to make mistakes to wake your ass up and be like, oh, this is destructive behavior and this is not mm -hmm. going to help me heal. And sometimes you need to sit in the shit figuratively <laughs> to really figure out what you need to make your heart feel better. I also was dealing with still being in communication with the guy, Javier, who broke up with me before mm -hmm. the trip, still being in communication with his friends and family. If you are going through heartbreak and you want my best advice, if you're really trying to get over someone, block them on everything and stop communicating. It's amazing when you use that block button on social media, people really don't exist anymore. And it is life-changing if you are really ready to do that. Because a lot of us say, yeah, I'm ready to move on. Yeah, I'm ready to feel better. Yeah, I'm ready to heal. Then block him. And we're like, yeah. well, no, I can't do that. And it's like, why? That's the one thing that's going to help you. And people are like, no, 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 I can't. I'm not there yet. What if he thinks I'm mad at him? What if he like doesn't understand? What if he – and it's like, it's, it's protect your peace, dude. Like that's yeah. the best piece of advice I can give you. For sure. I was going to ask you – how you feel about the no contact rule and like the concept of closure because as I was reading, I was like, girl, just don't talk to him anymore. <laughs> yeah. Yep. It's so much easier when we're on the outside of it. Um, and I know there are people – I actually had a lot of fear of writing the sequel because I – read it back in, in the edit process and wanted to fucking shake myself and was like, <laughs> bitch, just like let it go. But there, uh, the most messages I've gotten regarding the sequel are people that resonate with that specifically, the not being able to fully let go, the always letting the door be mm -hmm. a little bit open, the breadcrumbing that people will continuously do to you to keep you sucked in. So, you know, I had to be truthful about that. Looking back on it, no, I was going to say, do I wish I would have like cut it off sooner? But I think my story played out exactly how it needed to. Mm -hmm. um, there are things 
on that Europe trip even where if they wouldn't have gone down that way, I would have had so many questions in my mind still. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, like you have to remember when I was on this trip, it wasn't like he was like, I don't love you. I don't like you anymore. Like we're going to bye. It was very confusing in the well, I still like I ha- I care about you. You changed my life. I always want you in my life. I just like I'm grieving and I need to really figure things out to clue people in a little bit. He uh, lost his brother a year and a half before we met to suicide. And he said when he fell in love with me, a lot of that grief that he pushed so far down just opened up like floodgates. Mm-hmm. And so it was a very confusing. It really was not black and white. It was very fucking gray. But yeah, now when my friends go through stuff like that, I'm almost like I should be a little more sensitive to it. But I'm like, no, bitch, this is not it's not like you need to back up and just leave now. Just take it from someone who took so long to like realize it and get through it. I think we often excuse behavior so much when like, you know, People are doing the bare minimum. It's like, oh, he hearted the text you sent him. Right. That was all he could do. And you're like, no, but he responded. He loved it. And I'm like, no, dude, that's dismissive. Like, ask for more. You're better than that. That is so funny. Yeah, no, I found that so relatable because letting go was the hardest thing. And I could always find an excuse. And now I feel this exact same way as you, where I'm like, look at a situation. I'm like, no. And I think if I just got engaged and I've been with this guy for a long time, but I think if I were to go through it again, I would be like that in practice too. Just like, no, blinders, you know, whatever. Oh my God, I joke all the time that I'm engaged as well now, but if I was ever single and had to go on dates, like I'd be ruthless, (laughs) ruthless and scary. Like people would be like, wait, first of all, this bitch wrote two books. Now I'm taking her on a date and she's like, her standards are so insanely high. It It would just be like, no. No, sorry. Yeah. I just, you don't have time for it anymore. It's it's a fine line that we learn in life once you get to that place where you realize your worth. And then it's like, oh, I have been accepting so much less for so long that now I'm going to flip the other way. And it's like, good luck getting up to the standards, bud. (laughs) Yeah, meet me on my level. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, you wrote a whole book, but I think for anyone, like journaling to help you understand what went down. And I love the concept of the thought onion where Mm -hmm. you're like, it's almost as good as therapy, you know, like interrogating your thoughts. Can you kind of explain like how the writing process impacted your healing and how the thought onion works? Yeah, totally. So I for whatever reason, I wasn't really a writer before this. I mean, I could bullshit the hell out of an essay and I loved my creative writing classes, but I was not a writer by any means. And I just knew when I decided I was going to go on the trip alone, I was like, I'm going to write a book about this because my life had become a horror sitcom. And I knew whatever I was going to find on this trip within myself was going to help a lot of other people. So I went and bought a leather bound journal and I wrote three fourths of the book on the trip by hand. And it wasn't like I was journaling and then I turned it into a book. Like if you open the journal, it's chapter one, uh, very, very close to how the finished book got published. And I feel like it was therapy for me because I was writing as it was happening and it wasn't it's different when you're writing something by hand as opposed to typing because the emotions and the feelings that are happening inside your body are physically 
being released onto the page. Mm-hmm. And there's something really freeing about that. Every time I finished a chapter, I felt like I had kind of like completed that section of whatever I was doing or going through. And the thought onion came really a, towards the beginning of the trip on my first day walking around in London where I had had this like glorious magical day and then something happened and it like flipped my whole mood around and I was walking home being like all right Gabrielle do you want to like cry and be a little bitch about it or do you want to figure out what the fuck's going on <laughs> so mm-hmm. I'm like rolling my eyes okay no I want to figure it out so I call it the thought onion because you peel back layers like an onion And the first layer is the superficial thought. And that is really like your knee-jerk reaction to something when it happens. Like your initial like, oh my God, I can't even like get the words to come back in because they've already shot out of my mouth. And it's usually superficial. When you look what's underneath that, that's called the authentic thought. And that's usually like the emotion or the fear place that's in your body that's causing that superficial thought. And underneath that is the subconscious thought. And that's really where like the meat and potatoes are, where you can get to some really good shit. And that's usually Mm -hmm. like a long-stemming trauma or a subconscious belief, something that's been with you for a really long time. And when you can figure out what that layer is, you can then adjust or heal it so you can in turn have different thoughts and reactions in the future. I love that. So one thing that happened on your trip and is relevant to all people going through a breakup is like, when do you sleep with someone else? What are your thoughts about moving on in that way? Uh, Spoiler alert, I sleep with people on my trip. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I remember the first time I gave the, the like vomit draft to my mom, she was like, are you sure you don't want to change your name or like take out one of the people you slept with? And I was like, mom, if I'm going to do <laughs> it, <out> one. <laughs> I got to like, I got to be honest about where I was at with everything. And I think that for me, and I write about a lot of this in the book and even into the second book, because it was so deep within me, I discovered that I had been using sex as a way to get people close to me to therefore not feel abandoned which is so fucked up if you think about it. There were so many ways where I was like not respecting myself, respecting my body, not cherishing what a special thing that that should be with someone. Not that you can't just go out and have a one night stand. I mean, hello, look who's talking. Um, Totally. Totally fine. Like if you're doing it from an empowered place, then that's great. I was not. I was doing it from a needing to feel like I was with someone, to feel like I wasn't alone. And that was really toxic. But I didn't have all of these discoveries just like sitting in my room journaling. I had them from (laughs) sleeping with people and being like, okay, Gabrielle, what the fuck? We need a thought on you in this. What's going on? Um, So I, I think that it was a really big deal for me to sleep with Javier in the first place because I had been with my my ex-husband for six years. And that's a pretty decent amount of time to not have totally. dealt, dealt with another penis. You're like, can I do this with right? someone You're else? like, I, does it work what? the same? Um, and so that, you know, in itself, apart from the fact that we were like in love at the time, there were a lot of things that made that experience with him special. Mm-hmm. So then to kind of be like, okay, are you going to cross that line with someone else? I felt a lot of guilt when it happened on the trip. And that was surprising. Like I felt like I was cheating on someone even though I had been broken up with and sent on this fucking adventure all by myself. Um, So there were a lot of different emotions that came up that I worked through and I discovered a lot of things for me too, which I always try and like share with people on my podcast when we talk about sex is 
it doesn't always have to lead to that. So like mm-hmm. you can go and make out with a guy and then be like, cool, this is as far, eh, we're, mm-hmm. we're at the, the yellow light here. And that's fine. And I think whether it was from society or watching too much porn or how we're exposed to sex in the media, I always felt pressured like, fuck, well, we ended up making out and rubbing on each other. So like clearly we have to have sex. Like that is such a fucked up right. notion that I think so many of us feel so it's important to remember that like you can go out and make out and flirt and have fun and it doesn't have to cross that line. So coming home, were there new difficulties? What well, I know you wrote a whole other book about it, but what happened when you got home? Yeah. So I released Eat, Pray, FML and had no idea. That's a lie. I knew that it was going to impact a lot of people. I knew that this was like my new purpose of what I was supposed to be doing, but I didn't know that people were going to berate me. And I say that lovingly uh, <laughs> about what the fuck happened after Europe. So I didn't realize I was going to be writing a sequel, but the sequel, which is called The Ridiculous Misadventures of a Single Girl, spans over two years of my life. So it's a lot more time that I'm writing about. And when I came home from my Europe trip, it was like I got off the carousel and everything just stopped. It was Europe and new friends and people and experiences and go, go, go. And then I came home and was 28, divorced, living at my mom's house. And that was a big shell shock for me. And I fell into probably one of the biggest depressions I've ever been in and really didn't see how I was going to be getting out of it. That is where I created the self-love cocktail, which is written about in the epilogue of Eat, Pray, FML, because I didn't really figure all of it out on the trip. This whole journey, everybody was like, you have to learn how to love yourself first. Loving yourself is the most important thing before you can love another. And I'm like, okay, fuck, I get it. Can anyone tell me how? Like, give me instructions on how you're supposed to love yourself. And nobody had an answer for me. So I was on this like mythical self-love journey trying to figure out what the hell that meant and how to do it. And it was really getting myself out of the depression that I found myself in was how I found the answer to that. And I call it the self-love cocktail because obviously you have to equate it to a cocktail or wine. And it's really simple. You sit down and you write out things that you can give yourself that make your soul happy. So nothing that you need from outside sources or anybody else to help with. For me, that was dancing, meditating, going to the gym, eating healthy, writing. And I put that list on my mirror and I was like, okay, you do one thing on this list and you can get back in bed and binge a Netflix show. Like, gotta do one thing. And then a couple weeks after that, it was okay, like, let's do two things. And then I didn't want to get back in bed after a few weeks. And then it was three things. And before I realized it, I was feeling so much better. And it was because I was loving myself. And when I realized that when you want to love yourself, all you have to do is give your soul the things it loves, it completely changed my life. So many times we think when you want to love yourself, you have to look in the mirror and be like, I love you, Gabrielle. Like, you're amazing. You're beautiful. And like, if you can do that, more power to you. I always felt fucking crazy. Um, (laughs) And it's like when you want to show love to a significant other or you want to show love to your mother or a brother, sister or any relationship that you're in, you do things that make them experience love. So Mm -hmm. when you're wanting to show yourself love, why would you not do that for yourself. Yeah. So I think that kind of speaks to like a breakup can lead you on the most healing 
journey and some of it is this learning how to take care of yourself stuff that you're talking about. Do you have any other tips for kind of people who maybe need to realign how they're thinking about the breakup in terms of devastation versus opportunity? Yeah. So the new Taylor Swift album, which I'm sure everybody's listening to right now, I think it's the song's called Labyrinth. And one of the lyrics is it only hurts this much right now. And I think that's so imperative to remember when you're going through any type of grief, because that's what a breakup is. You're grieving a person who is still alive. And a lot of times that's really a lot harder to wrap your head around. And I feel like I can say that because I've lost enough people in my life Mm -hmm. in both ways. And if you can remember as dark as it seems now, even if you can't see that light at the end of the tunnel, like I promise you it's there, even if it's pitch fucking black. And if you can hold on to the notion that A, it only hurts this much right now, and B, there is a light at the end of the tunnel, and I know that this is happening for a reason, whether I can see that reason or not and just keep going. Whatever that means for you, whether that's like doing one thing a day for yourself or just existing, it will get better if you keep taking that step by step forward and knowing once you get to that other side, it is freaking magical. Mm -hmm. So keep going. (laughs) I love that. I mean, you mentioned books that you read in the book and I'm curious if you have any like must reads for someone going through this aside from yours, of course. Yeah. I mean, I would definitely start with my two, um, but (laughs) I also just released, not just, but released a self-love journal called Fuck Off, I'm Healing. And it's really a step-by-step guide where I kind of walk you through all these different healing aspects and past traumas and getting over things and working through things, not just only heartbreak related, although there is some of that. And there's prompts and questions that help you kind of unpack some of that. It's like therapy in a journal. So I would also recommend that. But, oh, I really did get a lot from uh, The Alchemist that I read on my trip. And there was, oh God, I'm not going to be able to pull up the name right now. Oh, Donald Miller scary close. That was a really great read for me to really understand some things that might be happening in relationships or why people act the way they do. So it's he tells stories about his own life that you get lessons from, which is kind of how Eat, Pray, FML is written. It doesn't feel like you're reading a self-help book. A lot of those types of reads sit really well with me. I also loved Michael Singer's I just read Untethered Soul. It was great. It was more difficult because it was very like teaching. Um, Mm. But his other one, The Surrender Experiment, was really a great read for anyone that's on any kind of journey, not just like heartbreak necessarily. Oh, thank you. I love that. And just one more thing that I think is kind of relevant is that, I mean, your relationship with your husband was much longer than your relationship with Javier. Mm -hmm. And yet- was so much more devastating to you. I feel like that's like a common misconception about breakups. Totally, totally. And you know, when my current partner and I were on our crazy journey to being in the healthy, happy relationship that we are now, there were times where we would fight and he would like be like, I don't understand it. You were only together for a month and a half. And I think so many times people discredit the intensity of a feeling because of the amount of time. You can be around someone for a week 
and feel like you know them better than people you've known your entire life. It's just dependent on the level of intimacy, and I, I mean that not in a sexual way, that you experience with someone. I'm also, we're about to get a little woo-woo here, but I've also done a lot of past life regressions and soul contract work. I fully believe that Javier and I had some past life stuff going on, mm. um, which makes things that much harder to break up and cut off. So if there's people that are resonating with what I'm saying and going like, yeah, this doesn't feel like a normal breakup, what the fuck, there's a good potential you are here for like a karmic relationship with them and you had some some past life stuff going on. And I have found a lot of peace in coming to those realizations and working through those on a healing level. That's really cool. Okay, so finally, like you said, you're engaged. You got into this happy, healthy relationship. Was there any mindset shifts that you think allowed this relationship to be better or like set you up for success? Yeah, so people will read in the sequel – they'll meet my current partner with me and kind of see the insane roller coaster ride it took us to get to where we are now. But the biggest thing that I realized was that my definition of love had become toxic. So I went from my ex-husband who I clearly didn't have the correct relationship with. There was a lot of narcissistic qualities and control things going on there to a love bombing relationship that's like extreme highs and extreme lows, which is also very toxic. Um, So my definition of how I defined love was not correct. So when I walked into the situation of safe, healthy love, I was like, oh, this can't be right. Something's (laughs) something's missing. This isn't this isn't it. So it really took me doing a lot of work on myself to come to those realizations to realize that there doesn't need to be the drama and the toxicity and the highs and lows that I had associated with in my relationships. Thank you so much. Is there anything else you'd like to tell listeners? No, I, I mean, I hope that, you know, people who are going through breakups and heartbreaks give themselves some grace. I think so often our society as a whole leans towards the get the fuck over it. Mm-hmm. It's it's not that bad. You know, whether it's a, a the ending of a marriage or the ending of something that lasted a month, you don't ever have to justify the way that you're feeling about it. That doesn't mean to stay in the victim mentality. Heal, go through it, deal with your shit but know that you need it to propel you forward and not be something that happened to you. That's really important. That's right. Feel your feelings. Go through the grieving process. But remember, privates, you have the power not just to survive, but thrive after your breakup. Like I said, your girl was a mess. So if you have been sloppy thus far, do not feel bad, but you can do this. So I hope you feel more empowered to move forward after this episode. Thank you so much to Amy and Kendra and Gabrielle. Here's how you can get in touch with them. So my website's renewbreakupbootcamp.com. I have an upcoming retreat that's co-ed in November. And my Instagram is Miss Amy Chan.
Yeah, so the best place to connect with me is on Instagram at your breakup bestie. And then my website is breakupbestie.com. You can find all my courses, my workbook. Um, my podcast is Heal Your Heartbreak. It comes out every Tuesday. Yeah, I'm on Instagram at Gabrielle Stone and TikTok at Gabrielle underscore Stone. And you can find the books on Amazon, Eat, Pray, FML, and The Ridiculous Misadventures of a Single Girl. And my podcast, FML Talk, airs every Wednesday. Follow me at Courtney Kosak on Instagram and Twitter. Follow the show at Private Parts Unknown on Instagram and Private Parts Un on Twitter. To stay up on our episodes, make sure you're following the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or your favorite podcast player. We'd also like to stay in touch between episodes via Substack. I freaking love Substack. So subscribe to our newsletter at privateportsunknown.substack.com. The link is in the episode description. And shout out to Amy Rausch for the bomb-ass theme music. For more info about Amy and her music, check out amyrausch.com. That's Amy, R-A-A-S-C-H.com. This episode was mixed by my ride-or-die audio guy, Michael Castaneda of Plastic Audio. And after enjoying this content, could we ask you for a really quick favor? Just go to ratethispodcast.com slash private and give us a five-star rating and review. It helps other people find the show. It makes me feel amazing. <laughs> really like a shampoo commercial. Yes, yes, yes. Again, that's ratethispodcast.com slash private. Or if you're listening on Spotify, it's so easy. You just go to the upper left-hand corner of the Private Parts Unknown page. You click the star button and then you click all five stars. Voila. Thank you so much. Until next time, I am wishing you lots of horniness and happiness and lemonade from those breakup lemons. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.